My name is Claire Vincent, and I'm the host of House Call, an Affinity Strategies podcast. For episode 13, The Importance of Awareness, I speak with Ashley Nelson about mindfulness and its importance to one's well-being. During this episode, we discuss what is meant by mindfulness, how her company, INSEA, supports others personally and professionally regarding mindfulness, the research that supports the importance of having a mindfulness practice, and how leaders can use mindfulness to support themselves as well as their teams. About Ashley. She is passionate about helping people unlock their potential to lead more authentic, resilient, and productive lives. Founder and CEO of INSEAS, mindfulness practitioner, former senior leader at the Fossil Group, and board member at the Fossil Foundation and Girls in the Game, Ashley helps individuals elevate their awareness and effectiveness, and in doing so, helps organizations create a culture where everyone can succeed and thrive. She is widely recognized as a strategic thinker, team builder, and compassionate and proven change management leader with over 25 years of corporate experience leading global teams for a Fortune 500 company. I hope you find our discussion as fascinating and thought-provoking as I did. Ashley, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you. I am honored to be with you today. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You know, we have, as we always do on our show, have lots to talk about today. So I am going to go ahead and kick things off and ask you if you wouldn't mind telling us about your company, Insius. I would love to. Insius is an organization dedicated to transforming lives and empowering people and, and organizations to realize their full potential. And we do this through our offering of evidence-based mindfulness programming because we really believe and have experienced ourselves that the uncertainty, the disruption, the volatility, and the stress that we are all experiencing today can be more skillfully navigated if we dial up our emotional intelligence skills. Mm. And mindfulness is really the foundation of emotional intelligence. Um, when, when I say emotional intelligence, I'm talking specifically about skills around self-awareness, managing emotions, empathy and social awareness, and social skills, just how we communicate and how we are in relationship with others. So we offer accessible, practical ways to improve those skills and change both mindset and behaviors uh, that are grounded in science and grounded in mindfulness. I love it. Um, <laughs> How did you come up with the idea for your company? Well, I've been practicing mindfulness for 25 years, and it has supported me through small moments in life, big moments in life, and everything in between. <laughs> I wanted to, to do something to, to make a positive impact in our world and invite people to connect with awareness and, and a new way of being that is mm -hmm. really effective and it, it improves our, our well-being and it, it also delivers the results that we need, whether those are results in the moment are, are health-oriented personal results, whether they are results in a company that we work in or results in a community that mm -hmm. we operate in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I spent decades in corporate America navigating a high-stress global leadership role, and I'm also a mother and have been a caretaker for a loved one with a life-threatening mental health illness, and I also happen to be a cancer survivor, and mm -hmm. my mindfulness practice has really been the unlock and the game-changer for me navigating stress, change, and uncertainty, which we all navigate on a regular mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. And how long has your company been around, Ashley? We have been around about five years. I left oh. my corporate America job and dedicated myself to making this kind of impact uh, in the world about five years ago. Wow, that is fantastic. 
And I would imagine it got especially interesting right around the pandemic start, which would, <laughs> I mean, you would have been operating for what, about two years when that happened? Right, right, oh, right. Gosh. We have bef- definitely been uh, experiencing a rush, <laughs> a rush <laughs> of increased business and new business and, and frankly, the ability to support individuals and organizations uh, as they navigate all of this uncertainty and try to offer their, their teams uh, greater resilience. Um, so, you know, the, the one thing that the pandemic has done, it has continued to increase the conversation around mental health and well-being. And I think it has helped all of us connect the dot uh, between well-being and our own mental health and our careers, whether those careers are in the home or in the community or in some other type of an organization, for-profit or non-for-profit. It is we've all connected the dot on how critical and important this is for us to really realize all of our potential. Um, You know, I know, I know 20 years ago when I started practicing, I tried to compartmentalize my mindfulness practice and sort of separate it from what I did every day in corporate America. And through my journey, my personal journey with my family and, and my own illness, I, there was just a, an aha moment of, you know, the skills that I'm practicing on my own separate from my corporate America life are the exact same skills that I need to navigate this reorganization we're going through, this transformation, uh, this, this new reinvention, and all of the stresses that I think everyone navigates in in their work and or home lives. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're not, we like to think they're unique and they're only ours. They're, they're, they're not. There is a common humanity that exists for all of us. And these skills mm-hmm. can really support all of us. You know, I think that that is such an interesting observation. And it's so curious to me that it took a pandemic for so many of us to understand and realize that whatever you do or or leverage in your personal life can actually appropriately be brought into the workspace um, and mm-hmm. vice versa, right? Right, um, right. We say that what we practice grows stronger. And, and this, this is actually a scientific lesson. It's a lesson from a, a scientific concept and, and fact called neuroplasticity, which is that mm-hmm. our brains are constantly changing and we have the ability to affect that change by what we pay attention to and what we notice. And even what we think, even what we think is changing or wiring your brain a particular way by either using a certain part of the brain when you think that thought or not using or atrophying another part of the brain, if you will. So um, it it is it is quite powerful, really quite powerful. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. And I love the fact that your company leverages, you know, data and research to support what what you're talking about. I would imagine that has gone a long way, especially in corporate America, to help people understand that yeah, this is totally based on science. It's real. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you're just making up. Yeah, there are a lot of skeptics, and and that's okay. I welcome conversation with the skeptics. These are practices that are grounded in science and in data. And, and, you know, the whole one of the curriculums that we are certified to teach is a curriculum called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction that was developed by a scientist uh, mm-hmm. who was trained at MIT and and uh, worked at UMass Hospital for UMass Hospital for for decades, and his name is John Kabat-Zinn. And um, we offer curriculums that are all 
evidence-based and grounded in science. There's there's a lot of it out there right now. The the amount of research, there's been an explosion of research over the last 20 to 25 years about the benefits of mindfulness-based interventions in the medical community um, and also in our educational system and government institutions and corporations to um, really dial up awareness and um, create more neural activity in a part of the brain that is more closely associated with strategic thinking, executive mm-hmm. functioning, kindness, compassion, empathy, and, and, and getting out of this other area of the brain that we're all hardwired with, this, this very emotional, reactive, mm-hmm. default mode network of the brain that, that we do as a species rely on incredibly. Uh, and, and it's important. Mm-hmm. However, being able to shift and toggle between those two areas of the brain uh, can be deeply beneficial for uh, ourselves and those we are in relationship with. Mm. It's awesome. Awesome. That is a great segue um, to my next question. And um, you are familiar with affinity strategies, so you know Mm -hmm. they uh, service uh, professional healthcare associations. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about the work that you and your company have done to support um, healthcare providers. I'd love to. Sure, sure. We work with both healthcare providers and we work with patient facing communities. Uh, so we work with, with leadership and management inside a healthcare mm-hmm. provider, and we also work with, with patient facing communities. As I said before, all of our programs are evidence based and we're certified uh, and trained to teach a, a number of different curriculums. One of them I mentioned is this mindfulness based stress reduction curriculum. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are also all certified in various modalities of yoga, meditation, mindful self-compassion, which is another curriculum that comes um, from a researcher uh, and scientist, Kristen Neff. Um, And we regularly work with hospitals, nurses, doctors, therapists, and staff as well as businesses that offer software solutions for the medical community to to teach them these mindfulness-based skills in order to reduce stress, decrease reactivity, and improve their own communication skills and their own awareness, both of themselves and others. So some of our programs are designed to improve the well-being and effectiveness of the medical team, uh, or the leadership, and some programs are designed for that medical team to share these skills with the communities they serve. So, mm-hmm. you know, just to name a few, we, we offer ongoing programs through Athena Health. Uh, we work with Northwestern Medicine in Chicago and Fox mm-hmm. Chase Cancer Center. We work with Michigan Medicine, which is um, the University of Michigan uh, medical system. We work with the FDA and the National Institute of Health. And We also work with smaller organizations. We're currently working with um, all the therapists and staff at Riverbend Cancer Services in Northwest Indiana that offers um, free cancer services to those in need in the community. And I feel really honored that we we partner with neuroscientists and researchers as well, uh, serving patient-facing populations. We we offer classes, mindfulness-based stress reduction classes to uh, cancer patients, uh, specifically prostate cancer patients and sleep disorder patients. Mm-hmm. And we are, are doing that through um, some research that three universities are all working on together to identify how effective mindfulness-based interventions may be in both cancer recovery and um, narcolepsy and sleep disorder issues. So wow. we yeah, we've done some really, really cool stuff. I feel um, feel quite grateful, uh, not only for the practices, but also just this community that is uh, trying to bring this forward. Yeah, well, you are doing incredible work and very needed work. And my guess is we could use at least 100 more companies like yours uh, <laughs> doing, doing, what, doing what you're doing. I'm wondering, Ashley, if you might be able to share 
uh, a little bit about maybe how some of the organizations um, that you're working with, or even maybe the patient-facing organizations, um, measure the effectiveness of of the work that uh, INSEAS does with them. Mm-hmm. There, as I said before, there's just such an explosion of research that has been going on for the last 20, 25 years in in the mindfulness community. There has been research out of Harvard Medical, Matthew Killingsworth and Dan Gilbert are are measuring with over 250,000 data points uh, Mm. using engagement with iPhones. They are measuring how often in our waking hours our minds are wandering. And it turns out that about 50% of the time we are all awake, our minds are wandering. And it also turns out in their study that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind because when our minds wander, we are defaulting to this default mode network, if you will, in our brains that is the area that's uh, more associated with reactivity and Mm -hmm. heightened emotion and our fight flight freeze mechanisms. Um, There are also other researchers out of Harvard Medical, uh, Sarah Lazar, who did her research many, many years ago, identifying that eight or more weeks of daily regular mindfulness training changes the connectivity, size, density, and neural activity in areas of the prefrontal cortex that are associated and more closely connected with regulating our emotions with compassion, kindness, and empathy, and that after eight weeks of mindfulness training, there is decreased neural activity in the emotional, reactive, amygdala part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So there's there's just all kinds of research out there. Uh, There's a scientist, Matthew Lutz, doing some research around and has identified that Mindfulness practitioners experience less anticipatory stress than Mm. non-practitioners, and mindfulness practitioners also have a greater ability to um, return more quickly after experiencing a stressful event, return more quickly to pre-stress levels in the body, implying Mm. a more skillful ability to regain control and composure and equanimity and sort of carry on, if you will. And um, and they're doing this by measuring the brain and activity in the brain, uh, putting uh, practitioners and, and non-practitioners through fMRI brain scanners so that they can uh, sort of measure uh, real-time activity and changes over time. The list really goes on and on. Um, there's also a team out of Yale, Judson Brewer, um, who's a researcher that has identified that the benefit of mindfulness to expanding our ability to hold attention. So really increasing our ability to focus uh, by training this particular area of the brain. Um, And then there are all kinds of compassion-based researchers as well. Richie Davidson out of UW Medicine is doing work around how practicing compassion and mindfulness literally alters our brain structures and traits within us. Uh, it's it's fascinating what's going on out there, and and the benefits are are real and measurable. Yeah, they they sure are. And what we will be sure to do for our listeners is we'll include references to some of the researchers that we just uh, reviewed in our show notes, so folks can find that information quite quickly if they if they'd like to. Excellent, excellent. Yes. Affinity Strategies is a full-service nonprofit healthcare associate management and stakeholder engagement firm. They use digital-first solutions to promote transparent, efficient business practices. They partner with each client organization to maximize both staff and client expertise, experience, and relationships to meet goals. To learn more about Affinity Strategies services, the team, and the mission-driven work they have done and continue to do, visit their website at www. Affinity-strategies.com.
All right, Ashley, I know I'm about to ask you about a big topic and you've shared some perspectives so far, but I'm wondering if we can maybe just peel back the onion a little bit more about the concept of mindfulness. I'd love to, sure. So I'll start by defining it and I still use a definition that was identified by John Kabat-Zinn, scientist and and practitioner who I mentioned earlier that uh, trained at MIT and and worked at UMass Hospital and really developed this mindfulness-based stress reduction curriculum, which is really, which is one of the curriculums that we bring forward at, at INSEAS. And he defines mindfulness as an awareness that arises by paying attention to the present moment. However, we need to pay attention to the present moment in a particular way, without judgment and with curiosity and kindness. So present moment attention and the awareness that develops because of that present moment attention that as we're paying attention, we are also suspending judgment, we are curious, and we are kind. So it's a, it's a shift from the autopilot most of us operate on regularly mm-hmm. to awareness. And, and dialing up awareness is really the key to navigating this modern world and the complexity and stress that is present in this modern world. Dialing up our awareness really allows us to be more connected to ourselves and be aware moment to moment what is going on in ourselves, what we're thinking, what we're not mm-hmm. thinking, what we're open to, what we're not open to, the, the bias that we may hold uh, or not. And it is also the key to being more connected to others. And um, it's hard, this present mm-hmm. moment awareness. It really is hard. And this, the piece that's also incredibly hard is this suspending judgment because the brain is an instrument that is designed to categorize all incoming stimuli into into groups of or categories of good, bad, or neutral, green for go or red for stop, if you will. And mm-hmm. so this is how our brains are designed, and this design has kept our species alive for thousands of years. And mindfulness invites us to train a different capacity of our brains that is, as I think I've mentioned before, the seat of all things human, the seat mm-hmm. of discernment and executive functioning and long-range strategic thinking and planning. And um, this area of the brain is also more closely connected to kindness, empathy, and compassion. So mindfulness doesn't ask us to... Um, to clamp down or not recognize the importance of this emotional reactive area of the brain. It's critically important for us to be aware of our emotions. And what it really invites us to do is to just be able to toggle more quickly between these brain parts and Mm -hmm. um, recognize some of the emotions for what they are. They may be conditional habits, conditional thinking, conditional bias. They may, they may not be. It just invites us to pause so that we can see things more clearly with this awareness. And then with that awareness, we can decide how to best proceed. We can decide if we need to manage those emotions a little better. We can decide if we need to ask for more resources or help. We can communicate in ways that are more transparent, honest, and effective. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I always do um, to get ready for um, interviews such as this one is, you know, just just kind of go out on you know social media and, and just check out. Um, what you and your company have put out there. And one of the things I really like that uh, NCS does is you've curated this collection of of very brief um, videos, right? And Mm -hmm. the one that, and I saw it about two weeks ago, Ashley, and it continues to resonate with me, 
is your video on acceptance. Mm. And <laughs> in particular, <laughs> the thing that really hit me was external criticism is as harmful as internal criticism mm -hmm. and vice mm -hmm. versa. And I, it, it really made me sit back and think, wow, um, mm -hmm. how harmful self, um, you know, self-talk can be. Um, and then, you know, the contrary, like how, how effective and how positive it can be. So would you mind talking a little bit about acceptance as part of mindfulness? Oh, I'd love to. And I'm glad I get the chance to also mention a researcher that I, I may have mentioned her earlier, but Kristen Neff is doing a tremendous amount of work around how critical and game-changing self-compassion is. Uh, and she measures how game-changing it can be through her work with combat members of the military who are wow. experiencing PTSD, as well as college students. And I mean, she's, she's got all sorts of populations that she's measuring what self-compassion can do. But in a nutshell, if you think about our bodies, we have a brain that is, and a nervous system, and, and they are connected to each other. And when we experience an external threat, that nervous system and brain together kick into high gear, creating a bevy of chemical cocktails that shoot mm -hmm. through the body in order to attend to the threat at hand or the danger at hand. Well, when you speak to yourself in a critical way or beat yourself up, the brain and the nervous system don't distinguish any difference between an external threat or an internal threat. The mechanism for how the brain and the nervous system works and, and the body works is really all the same. Mm -hmm. So you can experience an external threat, let's say a tiger bearing down on you, and this chemical cocktail surges through your body in order to shut off certain systems, turn on certain systems, and attend to the threat at hand, or you, the internal threat, talking to yourself negatively, beating yourself up, does the exact same thing. It mm -hmm. activates our stress reactivity cycle. It activates our sympathetic nervous system. It presses the gas pedal, if you will, in the body on all these automatic functions that take over in the context of a threat. And so you are really, really harming yourself, really hurting mm. yourself by constantly activating your own stress reactivity cycle by being an aggressor to yourself. Mm. And mindfulness practice, and, and particularly Kristen Neff's work, invite us to notice present moment how we might be talking to ourselves and give us a few other practices and skills in order to choose a different response than that automatic critical self-talk response. Choose a different response in that moment. Maybe, maybe we can identify what we need. Maybe we can do some other things in order to pause that automatic stress reactivity cycle and instead shift into something more skillful that um, expands our options and makes our choices in the moment a little wiser. <laughs> you know, it's uh, not a mystery that it's called a mindfulness practice because this is hard <laughs> stuff, right? This is really it is. hard. It's so hard. And we, you know, I think I've said it before, I'll say it again, because it, it bears repeating, we cannot practice it enough. It, it What yes. we practice grows stronger. And we don't even notice the way we're talking to ourselves, right? Because we have yeah. done it for decades since we were young, 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 because during some years, talking to ourselves in a particular way might have, might have helped us, might have, yeah. might have protected us, might have um, supported us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't support in every single instance. And so becoming more mindfully aware of, okay, 
in this instance, shall I beat myself up a little bit more and, and, and uh, proceed in a certain way? Or as I said, is, is there another option, another choice that might be better for our own well-being, better for our own connection to ourselves and better for more heightened connection with others? You know, something you just said made me think about something that I have found to be quite liberating, actually. And it's exactly what you're talking about with respect to choices, right? Like not allowing a situation to dictate how I must react, but Mm -hmm. stepping back a moment and really examining that I actually have more than one choice. And for me, that gives me a little bit of control, I guess, over a situation that ordinarily I would think is, I guess, being maybe foisted upon me, or I, I have, I'm left with no other choice but to react a certain way. And mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about practice, 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 practice. It, and it is sometimes really hard to get it right. And I don't know about you, Ashley, but when those instances where then I would reflect back and think, oh gosh, I really should not have said that, or I shouldn't have done it that way, then that becomes a source of negative self-talk. And it just becomes a, a terrible cycle that yeah, yeah, it's just hard to get out of. So I, I, I just really, really relate to what you were just saying about, you know, how it's it's the sort of thing where you just you need to step back a moment in each of those moments and just give yourself the freedom to examine mm-hmm. how do you really want to react? How do you want to be in this situation? I love that. That's exactly right. You know, it's interesting you use the word liberating. Uh, there's another curriculum that that I and, and many of my team members are certified to teach. It's called the SIY or the Search Inside Yourself program. And we say in that program that Mindfulness really unlocks this liberating shift. It is really a freedom. And even in that example that you just gave about your own reactivity and maybe saying something that you wished you hadn't, and Mm -hmm. then when you realize you've said something that you wished you hadn't or you've responded in a particular way that you wished you hadn't, then then the critical self-talk begins again and, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff. Even that, that is a moment of awareness. That moment mm-hmm. of awareness, even if it's after the fact, that moment of awareness of, oh, what did I just do? What did I just say? Even that is awareness, whether it's mm-hmm. in the moment or whether it's a day later, an hour later, a week later, a year later, that awareness invites you to then ask yourself, hmm, now that I'm aware that I did something that I wish I didn't, what, what would serve? What mm-hmm. would be skillful? Like even in that moment, you actually have some choices that you don't have to default to the critical self-talk. Another choice could be, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up the phone or set up a meeting and discuss this with the person and acknowledge that I responded in a particular way. And so, and this is a lot of what we train and what we do in our coaching and our training programs, because awareness is awareness, no matter when you experience it, just because Mm. you don't experience it in the moment doesn't mean it's not as powerful as in the moment. It's, it's powerful and you have choices no matter when you experience it. That is really profound. Awareness is awareness. Oh, I love that. Right? It's like uh, yeah. so simple and yet it's kind of oh, it, mind-blowing. <laughs> it really well. it it really is. It really is. Yeah. Okay, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind speaking a little bit about how leaders can use mindfulness to support themselves as well as their teams as they navigate change. This is, you know, really our sweet spot, and there are, are practices that are, that are accessible and that are tangible that any of us, whether we are individual contributors, whether we are leaders, that we can integrate into any moment, uh, and those are called integrated practices. And then there are practices that are more formal and dedicated and require space and time to engage with, such as meditation. Mm -hmm. Meditation is is one of the gateways 
into mindfulness. It is not the only gateway. There are in-the-moment practices as well uh, that dial up our ability to increase focus and attention. And that may be the practice of turning our attention to the breath. A lot mm-hmm. of mindfulness teachers use the breath, use the body, or use sounds in the environment as a portal into this present moment awareness. And we know because of the research and data that every time we turn our attention to the present moment, perhaps through using the breath, using the body, using a sound, that this strengthens this muscle and also improves our ability to control our attention and expand our attentional control. So Mm -hmm. leaders can also practice certain ways to listen. We can listen with active present moment attention, or we can listen in a distracted manner, multitasking and doing other Mm -hmm. things and claiming that we're listening. Mm -hmm. One, One way of listening is mindful. One way of listening activates that default mode network, which is that network that's more closely linked to negativity and scanning the horizon for dangers and threats and being more reactive and combative. And, and so we can, we teach listening skills. We teach responding skills. There are ways that we can respond that dial up alignment, dial up affirmation of another people, a person dial up understanding. And there's ways that we can even listen that dial up empathy and and connection. Mm -hmm. So we teach those kinds of things. Um, we do a lot of self-reflection and, and journaling, and we teach different methodologies for having difficult conversations, courageous conversations. Um, we use a lot of somatic practices to, to tune into the body, to notice emotions that are arising in the body um, in any given moment. So there there are a number of different mixed modality practices that leaders can engage with and uh they each have different you know they they have different outcomes all mm-hmm. of these practices support us though as we're navigating change and we're trying to expand our perspectives and we're trying to maintain more calm and a sense of equanimity in the face of all this disruption and chaos that exists in our organizations and even our communities and even our homes today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it, it, you're mentioning that there are a number of ways in which leaders can practice mindfulness. Therefore, mm-hmm. they have a number of options, right? Versus That's right. thinking all they have to do is meditate and they'll be a great leader. <laughs> That's right. I think everyone associates mindfulness with meditation, and, and that's not wrong. It is, it is a gateway in. It is a primary gateway in, and it really does um, unlock deeper insight and awareness and ability to know our emotions, see our emotions, and then therefore control our emotions. However, it isn't the only way in. There are other practices that... Uh, improve our ability to focus our attention and improve our ability to be more aware and improve our ability to heighten connection with others that we're in relationship with. And so that's why I do like to speak about mindfulness as a foundation of emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence. And emotional intelligence has a number of different pillars and, and areas to it. Uh, so, so we teach mindfulness at INSEAS through the lens of self-awareness, managing emotions, increasing your own engagement and connection with purpose, and then dialing up empathy and social awareness so that we can use all of it in service of our relationships with others to feel more connected uh, on this earth. Such a wonderful holistic approach. Really, really good stuff. Well, Ashley, we have reached the end of my substantive questions for you. And before we break over to our lightning round, I'm wondering if you could leave our listeners with a few pieces of advice 
about how they can become more mindful? Sure, sure. I would say start wherever you are and start now (laughs) because mindfulness (laughs) is about this present moment. So, uh, so start now. One of the things you can do, uh, as I mentioned, meditation as a gateway to mindfulness is you can develop a meditation practice. And there are so many ways to do that today. There are all kinds of apps. There are teachers that are fabulous and and well-trained and accessible all over the world. So one thing I would say is to commit and to start now. And by starting now, try to develop a meditation practice. It really is all about the practice. We can read about mindfulness. We can look at the data and the research, and it is certainly interesting, and it may enlighten us. Mm -hmm. However, if we are not practicing it, then we are not training the brains, strengthening the muscle, changing our conditional habits, thoughts, behaviors, and building new skills. So what we practice really does grow stronger, uh, as we know from neuroplasticity. So find a teacher, find an app, find a website, and, and dive in. Try the practices. And if the practices that a particular teacher offers doesn't work for you, then try another uh, because mm-hmm. there are various ways to practice mindfulness. Um, and feel free to check us out at NCS. We'd, we'd love to help. <laughs> that is awesome. And, you know, we will absolutely um, include NCS contact information. We'll highlight uh, your various offerings as well in the show notes too. But we're not going to let you go just yet, Ashley. We've got a few of our lightning round questions to ask you if you are okay with that. Oh, great. Oh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. And these really are meant to be, you know, kind of spontaneous uh, answers. So um, don't, don't, don't feel like you've got to think long and hard about the answers. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Would you describe yourself in three words? (laughs) Uh, I would describe myself as warm. I would describe myself as open I would describe myself as vulnerable. Ah, yes, yes, indeed. What is your favorite day of the week? Sunday. Sunday. I don't Love get it. that answer. I don't get that answer very often. Awesome. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. I love Sundays. They're just lazy and beautiful. And I feel like the rest of the world acknowledges that there is some mm-hmm. Sense of of quiet and calm and uh, and I just I just love them. Uh, they wow. they seem to for me allow more space to go inward a little bit more. Ah, that's great. Last song you downloaded? Oh my goodness! Last song I downloaded. That is a really good question, Stephanie. I downloaded. Um, Ben Harper's new album, and there was a particular song I was looking for, Mm -hmm. and I can't even remember the name. It might have been something about living under sea level or something. Anyway, Ben Ben Harper's new album, check it out. That was the last thing I downloaded, which was recently. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I, I have been meaning to check it out, and now that you have reminded me of it, I definitely will. Excellent. Um, Excellent. Yes, yes. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Hmm. Maybe those are, maybe those are the same. Speaking every language in the world and being able to speak to animals, all animals. My goodness. Excellent. I'm wondering if they're one and the same. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, maybe one of the other three words I would add uh, to describing yourself is creative because um, that's a great answer. Great answer. (laughs) Favorite junk food? Favorite junk food? Mm -hmm. Doritos. Cool Ranch Doritos. Nice. Nice. Love them. Love them. Mm -hmm. I don't know where and why it developed, but it's, uh, I think it has something to do with road tripping and stopping at gas stations and (laughs) being on an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. Good memories associated with those uh, Doritos. Right. right? I try not to eat them all that often right now, but you know, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I must Mm -hmm. admit 
they are my favorite junk food. <laughs> <laughs> Ask permission or forgiveness? Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many times did you sneeze in the last seven days? Oh my gosh, I have this condition. Maybe someone at Affinity or in your medical community can tell me what this is. I don't <laughs> sneeze once. I sneeze 20 times in a row, and it probably wow. happened yesterday. It's so wow. it's this thing. And it happens with my mother, and it happens with one of my daughters. So how many times in the last seven days? Well, at least 20. But if, I, if that happened more than – if that happened more than – once or twice, then maybe 40 or 60. I don't know. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I don't know if it's a weird allergic reaction or what it is, but I, it's, it's definitely a condition. We call it the LB disease because my mother's name is LB. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Well, maybe one of our listeners will uh, have a solution for, for you um, and the LB disease. Right. Exactly. (laughs) what is the fastest you've ever driven a car hmm don't know if i know but probably 110 probably 110 miles an hour yeah nice nice what's for dinner tonight trout and roasted potatoes with rosemary and kale well let me know what time i'll be over all right (laughs) sounds great Sounds great. Oh, dawn or dusk? Dawn. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love the newness of every new day. I really mm. do. And I am a morning person, and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful time, dawn. Mm. Lovely. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I would say I don't live in a world of right or wrong. I try to expand into grayness. That's what I try to expand into. (laughs) That is fantastic. You're not placing any judgment, right? No judgment. No judgment. (laughs) Oh, Who do you admire? I admire both of my daughters. Marley mm. and Thora. I mm. admire them greatly. Oh, that's so nice. So mm-hmm. nice. What are you currently reading? I am currently reading Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. It's been out for a little while, mm-hmm. and I have just heard from one too many people, namely people in a uh, few of my classes that I'm teaching right now, to the medical community, that it is just outstanding. And so I just started it and I'm on chapter three and it is really outstanding. It is really outstanding. That's great. I, Mm -hmm. I too have been hearing lots about it and you're right. I think it's been out for a little bit over a year and I have not picked it up yet, but it's on my list. So I'm glad you're enjoying it so far. I am. It's, it's, it's different from some of her other books as well. Um, and I'm, I'm just enjoying that. She's, uh, she's really sharing a lot about the research of various emotions. And uh, so I'm I'm learning a lot as well, which I'm loving. Oh, cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's my last lightning round question for you, Ashley. What is your dream job, of course, other than the one you currently have? Well, you had to add that other than the one I currently have, because this really is my dream job. I left corporate America in order to, to sort of craft my my dream job. But if it wasn't this, maybe my dream job would have something to do with traveling the world and meeting and connecting with different people. So, you know, maybe it would be exploring different countries, meeting and connecting with different people, and then, you know, reporting back. I don't know that I would be the writer, so to speak, or the reviewer, uh, but, you know, maybe something in the the travel travel business because I mm. I do love that do love exploring the world and connecting with people. That sounds amazing. And you know what i I would sign up to be your writer. That that's there. No you problem. go. <laughs> there. I think I would just need someone to uh, to to write the reviews or 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 whatever. So anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Indeed. Well. 
Thank you so much for, of course, all of the incredible information and wisdom that you've passed on today and indulging in, in the lightning round questions. This has been a fantastic conversation, Ashley. Thanks a million. It's been so fun. Thank you. We know mindfulness is a very broad and at times complex subject. But I think Ashley did a great job of breaking down mindfulness for us when she discussed its aspects as being the foundation for emotional intelligence. Her takeaways were powerful in that a mindfulness practice that is comprised of self and social awareness, communication, and empathy can change one's mindset and behaviors. We also spent time discussing her personal journey with a mindfulness practice, as well as how it can positively impact the world, including where you work and the communities you live in. To this end, Ashley provided an overview of the programming that NCS offers to support mindfulness for individuals, as well as many types of organizations. And of course, Ashley spent a lot of our discussion focusing on the plethora of science and research available that proves that a mindfulness practice is beneficial for everyone. For more information on INSEAS and the programs they offer, as well as references to some of the studies Ashley mentioned, check out our robust show notes. Today's episode was written and researched by me, Claire Vincent, with technical production provided by Derek Anderson and music from Caleb Justinger. Be sure to follow our series to stay up to date on new episodes. Share it with your friends, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, kindly give us a like. This helps us get the word out about our series. You can expect a new episode to drop sometime during the third week of each month. Thank you so much for listening to House Call and Affinity Strategies Podcast. We appreciate you so, so much. I look forward to catching up with you again in just a few weeks. Thanks again for listening. This is Claire Vincent.